This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC. I have the pleasure of having my new fast friend, Lorenzo Lewis, coming from the Confess Project, Little Rock, Arkansas, changing lives one mind at a time. Lorenzo, welcome to the show. Thank you for the warm introduction. I, I look forward to it. Let's speak more about what we're doing and, and, and hopefully to be an impact to, to the listeners and those who, who will be involved. So, Lorenzo, I saw you on CNN probably about three weeks ago and we reached out to you. Uh, mental health has been something that has kind of been something that we've been striving to help manage in the fitness industry. Yet most of the operators in the industry are more focused on physically, how are you doing and we're going to make sure that we help you with your exercise regimen, but we haven't really been able to figure out a way to also help people with their mental health. So, you know, maybe give a couple of minute talk about, you know, the initiative that you have and then what you're kind of turning barbers and hairstylists into, you know, mental health kind of first line of defense therapists. And then I want our audience to think broadly about like how we can enhance relationships that we already have. Absolutely. So, uh, the Confess Project is a uh, it's, it's, it is America's first mental health barbershop movement. Uh, we are a grassroots organization that is committed to building a culture of mental health, particularly for um, young men of color and their families. But our work uh, does rivet across uh, not only minority communities, but uh, the broader community, because we realize that when we work with subgroups and that are very underprivileged and marginalized, that does help to strengthen the economy, that helps to strengthen our communities and our communities become healthier and stronger. And so my personal story of being clinically diagnosed with depression, I realized that I had my own personal struggles and my own journey, but I was also privileged um, to work in the mental health field for the next decade following that. And so I saw that there was a huge gap in not only addressing the population that we're serving, but there was a huge gap in really authentically reaching people where they already were. And so I had a, uh, during my youth, um, I grew up in a beauty salon, my aunt owned a beauty salon. And so I remember that salon being a place where people lives changed. And so I took what I had personally and professionally, married the two, and that's what the Confess Project is now. We are this unorthodox movement that is meeting people where they are, celebrating folks that have not been seen and heard and really giving people the tools and the techniques to change the lives of their community and those around them. You know, so Lorenzo, I grew up, you know, I had one relative that, uh, you know, my mom used to always say like cousin so-and-so, you know, is in therapy and it was always, you know, deemed as um, you don't want to go to therapy type of thing that that was kind of a bad place. And then as I grew up and probably over only over the last five years, I realized that, you know, talking to a therapist was almost like the equivalent of like going to a physical, going to a personal trainer. Like, so I'm exercising my body. I'm actually going and talking to someone and, you know, kind of sorting out what's going on in my brain. Um, so I think like over the last three years or so, like having Michael Phelps, you know, do those ads where, you know, you call mental health specialists and kind of people who are leaders and role models being much more open about, the struggles that they have, even though on the surface, it looks like, Hey, I'm super successful, but there's something else going on. So, you know, how have you been able to take, you know, a barber and empowering them to become a, a mental health specialist and having them kind of be like this first line of defense? Cause obviously they're a great listener to begin with. Cause I, I don't, I've never went to a barber who didn't 
was it a good listener and almost like comes with the trade, I feel like. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we're very specific about training our barbers to be advocates. Uh, we realize that by being an advocate, that, that is a lifelong learning curve that they will experience and which will continue to let them uh, propel to just be a better barber. And so barbers are naturally taught to detail how to show you cheer use a blade, use sharp objects on their client's hair to obviously act in some form of grooming service. But that because of that intimacy, they also, they can be good communicators and they can learn how powerful validation is. So we train them in, you know, active listening, positive communication, how to reduce stigma and how to validate their client's response. And so during those uh, barber techniques and the, the activities that they're engaging in during a service, they're able to now enhance this through what they already do. Um, and I think because barbers naturally will deal with a client, you know, it may be a, a kid they would have dealt with for their whole life. And, and so maybe that kid is the only only person that that barber has seen consistently. It may even be more times than him seeing a physician. And so without a doubt, we are training them in a lifelong spectrum to be very good peer supporters and a community care model that allows them to be an advocate. And so by being an advocate, they're taught these skills. They're learning how to refer a client because barbers simply cannot solve the largest issue. Uh, we realize that, you know, there are therapists, there are trained professors, so, but they're, they're there to be in the gap because we realize that most of the people that may visit the shop will not be able to or may not have the opportunity to even reach a therapist. And so barbers stand in that gap to help to change that trajectory and, and to move that forward for, for their love life. So, you know, the reason, one of the reasons why I reached out to you was I was thinking about the connection that I have with my personal trainer, who effectively is also, you know, my friend now and my therapist, you know, even though he doesn't know it, um, <laughs> you know, but I kind of confide in him and I've got this relationship, but I've also have like the proximity of space. So like when you think about a barbershop, do you and the environment there and you got potentially like, you know, uh, chairs kind of a little bit on top of each other. Do you recommend they kind of like turn up the music so there's a little more, you know, intimacy and, you know, they're able to confide in each other more? Or do you, did you have you thought about the spacing or how does it work or do people get so in a zone that it doesn't matter? So typically what we do is, you know, pre-COVID, <laughs> And even at whenever the time is, is, is right enough again, we train barbers in the space that they cut hair in. And so their clients are there, the barbers are there. And so the Confess Project, myself, um, I want to give a special shout out to my engagement director, Darnell Rice. We engage the barbers through a training which typically lasts about an hour. Well, post that training, they're added to an online community in which they're able to get the enhancements, coping skills, webinar, peer support, they're in there with all the other barbers that went through the same training that they have. And so there's where there's a growing community, right? You know, ongoing, we, we also host, you know, uh, again, these, these different calls and this curriculum is extensive beyond them becoming an advocate. Now what's happened is during COVID, we have created an online course um, in which this allows for um, uh, barbers from across the country to go through these, the same training that's happened in the shop. And so Typically what happens after this is that the barber is charged with the information. They have the certification as an advocate. They understand the techniques. And so from there, they are just in a position to, to, to step in when necessary. 
And so I think it makes it where it's a capacity building model. So they're trained, they understand the technique. It's not more of them engaging the client, you know, asking are they going through bipolar or are they having an anxiety, uh, generalized anxiety disorder. It's 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 them doing what they normally do, but they have these skills to engage that will help to increase access to mental health. Is there a pretty good network from besides the, the groups that you set up? But, you know, you're you're in nine cities now, at least from the last YouTube yeah, video. 14. I looked at. 14 now. Yeah. OK. You know, once once there's, you know, a diagnosis and obviously I'm assuming it's got to be, you know, voluntary and conventional. Uh, you know, it's got to be voluntary between, you know, the, the, the client and the, and the barber where the barber can say, hey, look, there's like this mental health clinic or, you know, there, there's a group here. Is there kind of, um, I don't want to make it sound like there's like a lead generator of like mental health patients into other more professional groups that deal with mental health that are, you know, for-profit or, you know, groups that are in that network, but is, are you kind of tied in or is that kind of like the next phase to say, Hey, look, you have this, like, we've got this relationship with this hospital or this community group. Is that kind of where you're, you're yeah. headed? So, yeah, we have uh, what we call an RFA, referral agreements, uh, referral relationships. And so, yes, in each city, 14 cities, we have a lead ambassador there of each city. Um, each city receives a chartered body. Uh, we require at least 10 barbers in, to, to form as an actual chapter there. And so that barber coalition have again a, a, a appointed barbers that leads the cause with those barbers also particularly that ambassador they are aware of where the actual relationship so each city we have uh, some form of clinician you're right in hospitals um like here in little rock arkansas we have a couple of partners we work with um i know we were just in johnson tennessee we work with a private practice there and so yes we another thing is we provide the barbershop each barbershop gets a poster and so on this post, it, it, it recognizes the crisis hotline. And so if someone is going through suicidal ideation, they know the number to call. One reason why that's important, a part of mental health stigma is mental health literacy. People are unaware where the information is and where the resources are. And so we provide that literacy so that they know how to also mobilize and help themselves as well. Do you think we've hit a tipping point where people are starting to get more comfortable raising their hand? And saying like, look, I need help, and it's not a weakness. Um, you know, it's okay to be vulnerable. Or, or do you still think you know we, we got a long way to go? We were doing. You know, the conversation has been started. I do believe that you know, on a macro level, we have a long way to go because I, I believe that it's going to take a community of you know, policy leaders local leaders in towns, um, schools, you know, uh, there's still, I believe there's still a lot of work to be done, but you know, this is a, this is a huge historical problem. Um, when you think about it, every community with mental health, um, you know, is looked at differently. Um, you know, you have different religion and cultures that, that view how to get help and strength differently, but I believe we've gotten the conversation started, right? And I think, we need more uh, individuals like the Confess Project on the front line. You know, we need, you know, those who are in the fitness industry that are, you know, providing that health support to also really be imagining, you know, what does it look like to have a QPR certification, which is a suicide prevention certification. These are certifications in which someone can have and know how to save a life in a few steps. 
And so what does it look like for individuals that are on the front line to have tangible skills and techniques to not make, not cure anyone, but to have that to help someone, you know, be the best version of themselves. And so I think that's, that's really where, you know, our system, our care system really have to reimagine. We're reimagining our system by training barbers and training folks that are on the ground. And so uh, I would charge, you know, folks that are doing this work and or that are desired to do this work to reimagine how everyone around them can become equipped. It's just like CPR first aid. When you go and work in a setting with a lot of people, you have to have a CPR where everyone needs to have some type of a QPR, which is, I guess, a suicide prevention first aid for folks that want to take their life off suicide. And so we should should reimagine that people want to have these type of tangible certifications. And that's something that we offer as well as a success process. Uh, It's just to see that folks can have these skills and techniques that they can help people in their community. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe COVID is potentially a a positive tipping point for policymakers and, and for corporations and for communities to understand if you actually invest in prevention, whether it's pay for somebody's Planet Fitness membership, pay for someone maybe to get a haircut, you know, and to, and to have this 20 minutes, you know, conversation or 30 minute conversation with a barber that's paid for by, I don't know, pick, pick, pick a brand or pick a, you know, a, a um, you know, some pocket of money that's geared towards mental health or, you know, geared towards, you know, <clears throat> disease. Like I don't, when we start, when you start looking at the healthcare industry and the amount of money that it costs to take care of someone once they actually are sick. And then I see these commercials that drive me nuts about all the side effects that you get from taking some pill, you know, that you could potentially solve with having a conversation and then actually going to the gym. You don't have to take this pill. I think you should have to, you know, maybe get five haircuts and maybe take, you know, five weeks of boot camp, you know, before you're allowed to take one of these, you know, antidepressant pills that like, you know, becomes, you know, a recurring revenue stream for some drug company that, you know, could care less about us. So, you know, as I, as I think about what we were doing in the, in the fitness industry, you know, and I was mentioning before, but I'll mention it now, you know, we're thinking about like this shower curtain confessions and like kind of turning personal trainers into like mental health therapists. So, you know, as you expand to 14 cities, you know, do you see, personal trainers and group exercise instructors potentially becoming certified in the confess project and using that as curriculum to potentially broaden your, you know, your reach without actually having to go further than the cities that you're already in. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I see this as a way of, again, as we stated, you know, definitely trainers could become, you know, trauma informed. They could become certified and being an advocate and recognizing the, the techniques to help. Um, and so what we like to call this is uh, peer support and community care. Um, and that's a part of what we do at the root of what we do. And so when you're doing it that way, everyone is inclusive of understanding the impact and the changes that can occur. And also they're very equipped and educated. And so when you are educating folks that are in the community that provide immediate support and relationships and they have, I mean, imagine a fitness trainer in a health facility could have a maximum of social capital in a large city in which this could almost be some type of a pre-assessment that's being done as clients are coming through, signing up for services. And so, yes, I think um, that could be, a, you know, it's just as they're doing, you know, yoga and different 
classes throughout the month. You know, this could be something that, that could be offered there. And so I think uh, you're right. Uh, you know, that is something we've thought about is training our frontline, you know, tattoo artists, you know, fitness coaches, you know, folks who work at a bar, football coaches. You know, this is people that I think we have overlooked. And as we talk about the unseen and the unheard, we assume that because they're not clinicians that they cannot be in the gap. But when you look at that, you know, one in five Americans in America will have a mental illness. When you look at the atrocious numbers behind suicide and, you know, people dying by suicide, every, so many minutes in the world, you know, these things are, are I'm sorry, but our, our health system is not going to fix it. And, sure. and so, so we, as a community, we got to figure out how we're going to fix it. And so, you know, I think that's our call to action. Yeah, uh, I agree. And we look forward to working with you on trying to, well, to make that happen, not try to, but to make that happen. So one of the things I thought was interesting when I was looking at, at, at your site, you know, that you got a partnership uh, with Gillette. Can you talk a little bit about that? And then, you know, as you move this forward, I feel like a lot of these companies are going to need to start to really focus on, hey, how do I help my my customers or my members? And it's actually my responsibility, not just, you know, for them to buy products. You know, I'll, I'll, that that's what they're at. I feel like they should take their advertising dollars and turn them into dollars that are actually helping make their members or make their customers better people. So maybe talk about how this Gillette started. And, you know, I got ideas about a lot of things, as you can tell, but like companies should be putting money back into their customers. Almost like it's almost like I'm investing in your product. I want you to invest in me. Like that's the trade. So talk talk for a minute about that, because I feel like that gets lost with a lot of our fitness uh, providers and operators don't leverage the relationships that they should have with large multi-billion dollar companies that they're, you know, they're, they're taking their Coca-Cola water products and selling them, or, you know, they got shirts coming in from Under Armour. What's the trade there? Like I'm not a, I'm not a customer and you're a vendor. I got a partnership. I need something from you. Mm. Yeah. And I, and I, and I believe, you know, that we, um, you know, I think that that's important that we, continue to enhance the conversation. Um, and we also, uh, and so again, back to our partners, Gillette, uh, they are our uh, you know, partner in which our work will also be expanded to, to larger cities such as Philadelphia, Dallas, Los Angeles, San Francisco. And um, um, yes, and so, so some of the, uh, New York City, I'm sorry. And so um, in this partnership, we allow, uh, the Confess Project becomes more expansive because of the, 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 the campaign that we, we are working with them is called the Best Man Can Be campaign, in which we are focused on helping men be their inner best and also outwardly good leaders in the community. And so in partnership with them, we, we are able to see that our work and their mission is it's amplified to, to reach more men in the community, to, to diffuse you know, masculinity, the rationale behind men, you know, um, and different, you know, dispelling stereotypes and also to, to see that men can also have a good and mental health and, and, and a good mental health equity of, of in their community. And I think that's something that we are really huge on and that I feel Gillette has been very supportive in our in our partnership is because it allows the Confess Project to be the best that it can be. And also it, it gives us a, you know, we, we, we would not have been able to, I think, grow to become who we are. Uh, without having such a uh, one of the best grooming partners in the country, and so um, I think that that in itself really allows allows our work to continue to to be propelled further. 
Well, given the cost of the, uh, the, the blades, I think they should be putting some money back into the communities. <laughs> um, so how do people know that they're going into a barbershop that has the Confess Project or, you know, that, that program? Are there posters? Is there like a window peel? It's on a website. How, how do you do that? Yeah, so we, we should have a if the map um, marketing team should be uploading. It should be uploading a, a map of our last city. You want me to check with your marketing team or you want to do it? Uh, no, no, I, I can't. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it should be going up somewhere. We have quite a bit on the site. And so I think they, they were trying to find the, the best place where we know we can get the most people to see. But yes, we have a window, uh, window decals that we're sending out to a lot of our shops. Some of our shops have the posters. And so, yes, we are looking to listing, um, listing these different things. We're also about to start um, listing our barber ambassadors that are over our cities on our website. And so because we realize that the public needs to know who they are, you know, people should know where these shops are. And because in our mind is we're creating these social mental health hubs that, that's going to help change people's lives. And so I think it's important that we also highlight our barbers and, and how they're playing a part in this too. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting parallel between, you know, a personal trainer that just starts out. After you start talking to them, they say, you know, hey, I'm NASM certified. I got a kettlebell concept certification. You know, I'm a nutritious life certified. You know, like they like to say, hey, I'm, I can do a lot of different things. So I feel like you're you're also empowering them to say, hey, I'm not just the guy who cut your hair, or the, the woman that cut your hair. But, you know, I got a lot more to offer you even though they already had that already, but for them to be able to, to kind of upgrade, you know, their own status has got to be pretty empowering as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, these barbers walk away more rejuvenated, more empowered, you know, imagine that this is something that a lot of them uniquely haven't learned in barber school. And so what we're even doing now is that we're partnering with barber schools. And, and so we're wanting to know that if they enter into the field and becoming full-time entrepreneurs, and going to own shops that they can have this type of interaction because it's really important. The type of trauma and interactions that a lot of these men have faced, I think it's a, it's a, it's a reality check for a lot of them once they get engaged because they get to learn more about themselves than they did before. And we've known people that's realized that they were struggling from sleep insomnia. There was realizing that drinking a lot was tied to a larger substance abuse problem simply because we came in and had a training. And so that's, you're helping to change people's lives because you're giving them another way of looking at themselves and how they look at their clients and their families. And so that naturally self-awareness truly does build upon good health and, and a good well-being. So when you're self-aware, you're, you're typically going to, um, you're just going to be a better person. And so I think this program also gives them that empowerment and self-awareness. Yeah. So you, you got any quotes that are, uh, you know, people would say, oh, man, Lorenzo says that all the time or any quote that you, you know, think about or live by that uh, that kind of resonates in your, in your mind all the time. Yeah, I would say that mental health is wealth. You know, that's one thing that I, you know, uh, this, this jersey here that, that we've, we've started to wear. It's a, a custom football jersey. And, it, uh, and on the back of it, it has a mental mental wealth because we, we realize that, and particularly the, the nuance around this wealth piece is that we have realized that most people, most of our barbers are one, they're in business for commerce. They're, they're in business to make money and to take care of their families. It's an economic driver. And mm-hmm. so because we realize that, we also have to understand that they know they have to also, just like you know, someone has to put in to get in shape, 
hey, you have to put in to invest into your mental health so that you can become more optimal and become a more expansive entrepreneur. And so uh, I think that goes across multiple levels, whether you're in a corporation, a fitness owner, when you invest into yourself, as you do in any other area of your life, you will multiply hourly, whether that's financial, that's in your relationships, whatever that looks like, it's going to be an increase. And so I think I will leave that mental health is wealth because no matter what that wealth looks like, it will be an increase somewhere in your life. Awesome. All right. So here's what I want to do. I want to figure out the 14 cities. Once your marketing team gets that map up, I want to make partnerships with the uh, local health clubs there. And then as we got these changes going on in the retail environment, maybe we get some of these barbershops, you know, inside or next to the, to the health clubs and try and, you know, physically place people where, you know, you've got this all wrapped together and make it easy for them. And there's nothing like the, you know, a, a conversation. I don't care what you say about mobile apps and, you know, social media, like this is about looking somebody in the eye and saying, I need help. And, and somebody else saying, Hey man, I can help you. So I don't think that ever goes away. So I love what you're doing. Let's go Good Halo time. and uh, let's make some stuff happen. I'm glad you, uh, you got on with us and uh, look forward to making some serious change in this, uh, in this world. And I think you're, you know, you're, you're a role model to do that. We're going to go with it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks a lot, Pete. I appreciate it. Thank you. Awesome, again. buddy. All right, be safe. Thanks. Well, thank you. Talk to you soon. Bye. This is Pete Moore. As you know, I am a big believer in personal development. I got a time-saving opportunity here for you, recommending Dan Millman's Four Purposes of Life. Go to audible.com forward slash Halo Talks. You want to register there, get a free audio book. It's $14.95 a month thereafter giving you things that I do to make myself better and hopefully it makes you better. Go Halo. Let's play to win.